Well, welcome to all of you that are joining us today. Uh, I want to say happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful time uh, with whoever you were spending Thanksgiving with this year. I know it's been different for everyone, but as the song that we just sang um, said, we are just so grateful, so grateful for the amazing work of God in our lives. And I want to say to, to all of you that are joining us, I hope that your kids are with you. It's Worship Together weekend, so I hope that they are with you um, and you're worshiping together as a family today. But it is so good to be with you. And we are finishing our series today, Outrageous, a call to radical living from the mouth of Jesus himself. And we're going to finish up looking at the Sermon on the Mount today. And, you know, the past couple of months, we have just really focused in and honed in on the words of Jesus. Powerful words as we looked in the month of October at the parables. As Jesus talked about the kingdom that his presence ushered in. This upside down kingdom, he introduced that to us and to his followers through the parables, to those who had ears to hear. And now with the Sermon on the Mount, he is saying to his disciples and to all of us, he's teaching them what it means to live in this upside down kingdom. What it means to live as Jesus lives. What it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. I picture him going up onto the hillside and sitting there, sitting because that's how rabbis taught. They taught, they were teaching as they would sit. So he's sitting there with his disciples around him. And really this message, this Sermon on the Mount is for his followers, for his disciples. Many have actually called it a discourse on discipleship teaching them what it means to truly follow him. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't a crowd gathered. There was. There was always a crowd gathered wherever Jesus was. But this message was for those that were truly following him. Those that had given up their lives to follow him. And now he was telling them what that really looked like. And it was both good news and hard news. Yeah, it was the good news of the gospel, a new way of living in this coming kingdom that came through Jesus. But to live in this kingdom, that's not an easy road. That's not an easy choice to make. It's going to be a, want, want, a road of, of tough choices and difficult decisions and persecution it is a calling that's not going to make sense to much of the world. It's a mandate to live in the present in a way that will probably only truly make sense in God's promised future. It's living in a way that is contrary to human nature, contrary into what our inclinations are. It's, it's a calling that blesses the poor and those that mourn and blesses the humble. It's a calling to love your enemy. It's a calling that when someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. It's a calling that when someone takes your shirt, you give them their coat, your coat as well. It's a tough calling, but he lays it all out for them 
right there on that hillside through this beautiful sermon. And he lays it out for us. You see, Jesus said at the very beginning of this sermon, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he actually, in this sermon, makes the law a little bit harder if you read the whole thing. This is hard stuff. It's ways of living that don't come naturally to us. But the disciples, they've already seen this lived out in Jesus. You see, he's not going to call us to live in a way that he hasn't already shown us. And he has already shown his disciples what this means to live this way through his own life. Healing and calling came first. Everyone, whether a disciple or someone in the crowd, has seen or known Jesus' gracious, freely given power toward everyone. This is God's way. Grace first, then task. Compassion, then expectation. Healing, then the imperative. Jesus shows us who he is first and what his life is about. Again, our king doesn't ask anything of us that he isn't willing to do first. And then he says, now here is what it means to be my disciple, to follow me. And what Jesus demands is the work of the kingdom of, of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Just like it says in the Lord's Prayer that he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And here we are at the end. Today we're going to look at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. The last several verses of these three full chapters that he's been teaching through. So how we're going to wrap it up this time... These are his parting words, and we're going to look at these four sections, and they look kind of unrelated, but when we get to the end of it, you're going to see how it all comes together. And we're going to start in Matthew 7, verse 13, so if you want to grab a Bible or you can look at the Grace app and find that scripture there. And I have some help this weekend. So like I said, we're going to look at this in four different parts, and I've got some friends that are going to help me lead into each one of these sections as they read a portion of each scripture that we're going to be looking at. I said it's Worship Together weekend, so these friends are going to help us all dig into the scriptures. And we're going to start with Matthew 7, 13 through 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to destruction is broad and the gateway is wide for many people who choose that way. The gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. Only few have found it. So these two verses kind of stand alone, but they lead into the next three sections. These next three sections are going to focus on how to recognize those that are true followers of Jesus and recognize those that are not genuine or false. And this section that Max just so beautifully read for us about the narrow gate and the wide gate, they kind of set that up a bit. By setting up the difficult road it is to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, the gate is narrow and the road is winding and rough, but it leads to life. Where the gate to destruction is wide and easy to find, 
And you see, Jesus' followers would have totally understood this because there were, there were walled cities all around them, cities that you used gates to get in and out of. And so there were wide gates, wide gates that many people could get in and out of at the same time. Carts could make their way through, and those were easy gates to find, and many, many people could find them and make their way in and out. It might have been a gate that looked a little bit like this, like this wide gate, big, open, but then there were these smaller gates that you had to really look for. They were small and they were hard to get through. And, and then there were usually steep, narrow stairs. These gates would only allow one person in or out at a time. And, and they might have looked a little bit like this. Yeah, much, much more difficult to get through. You have to really, really want to pursue Jesus and his kingdom. It is not something that you just fall into. It takes focused effort and energy to find and get through that narrow gate. If you just move with the flow and go along with no true pursuit of him, you're going to get caught up in where the crowd is taking you. It's going to move you in their direction and at their pace. I want you all to think about adults and kids. Can you think of, of any kind of structure or, or doorway that you've gone through and on the other side was something magnificent? It was really hard to get through, but when you got to the other side, there was something great. You know what it made me think of? And this is a little bit silly, Black Friday, okay? Now, we did not have Black Friday the same way this year that we usually do, it, it was not the same. But back in the day, long ago, when Black Friday truly happened the Friday after Thanksgiving, when nothing was open on Thanksgiving and no stores decorated before Thanksgiving, everything, all the stores. So people would walk into these stores and they were decorated beautifully and all the things were on sale. So people would wait in line. They'd wait in line outside for hours to get into these stores. And then they would push, the crowds would push their way through to the door and then they would walk in and the store was beautifully de decorated and there were all these sales and it was magnificent. Well, let me tell you that when you walk through this narrow gate, there is something that is much more life-giving than a decorated target. It is the life-giving kingdom of God. So Jesus has spent the previous chapters and verses explaining what it looks like to choose him, to follow him, to be his disciple. And now he's wrapping it up by saying, it's not an easy ask. It's finding and squeezing through a narrow gate and, ta and taking that winding hard road. So he's asking, is that what you're going to pursue? Are you going to pursue that narrow gate? Or will you be complacent and lazy in your pursuit of me? Will you fervently pursue him and his kingdom? Look, in life, you may find that the wide, wide gate is more popular, but it is not more powerful. It may appear easier, but it is not eternal. It may look fun, but it is not really fulfilling. And it may seem desirable, but it does not have true depth. The narrow gate may lead to a difficult road, sometimes with hardship and persecution, but it will ultimately lead to life. 
both figuratively and literally. And the wide gate may be open and easy, but it truly leads to nothing. I know this sounds like a lot of work, and it is, but it leads to victory. It made me think of uh, my daughter, Annie, because I'm, I'm not an athlete at all, but I've heard how hard athletes work. And now I've actually experienced it in my own home. Annie's a runner, and she's a senior this year, and for four years she's been wanting her team, her cross-country team, to win a state championship. And I have watched that girl get up at 5.30 in the morning every single day, even during quarantine, and run miles upon miles and do workout after workout to get to the state championship at the end of October. And her focus was always on the team. It was always on others first. And you know what happened on October 31st around 2.30 in the afternoon? Those girls won a state championship. And Annie's hours upon hours of hard work led to that victory. And it made me think of the narrow gate and maybe the winding difficult road that leads to life and victory and freedom. It's a lot of hard work, fulfilling hard work that leads to life and victory. So this, this section of which road are you going to choose really sets up a picture of the next, uh, next three sections of what does it look like then? What does it look like when you choose the narrow gate? And what does it look like when you choose the wide gate? So this next section, Matthew 7, 15 through 19, I, kids, I would love for you, I've got two friends that are going to give you this verse a little bit slower with motions. So I would love it if you all stood up wherever you are and learned these verses along with them, with the motions, because they're going to help you remember what this verse said. So we're going to look at Matthew 7, 15 through 19 with motions. A good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree does not produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit gets chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. See, I told you. So you might want to rewind that later so that you can relearn those, those pieces again. But Jesus is saying right here, look, you're going to know who is a good tree and who is a bad tree by the fruit they bear. And actually, he starts this section by talking about sheep and wolves. In verse 15, the beginning of this section, he says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Again, he's using images that his followers understand. He has followed both his disciples and the crowd surrounding him are, are full of fishermen and farmers and shepherds. So they understand these images of, of fruit and of wolves and of sheep. Don't fall for those who appear to follow through that narrow gate, but don't bear any fruit. 
You will know who a true follower of Jesus is by the lives they lead. You will see the fruit of the Spirit in them and through them. In Luke's depiction of this same section in Luke chapter 6, he says it like this. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. The thorn bushes and the thistles grow in the midst of the vineyard alongside the fig tree. This is why he's warning us here. We're being warned there's no place that is necessarily safe from the false prophets, from that evil. But all of these fruit, the bad and the good, all of these bushes produce some kind of fruit. Thorn bushes and thistles produce a fruit that is useless, useless and worthless. Compare that to the grapes and the figs. They are useful and valuable. And we, upon examining that, can see it. We see the difference. Yeah, they both produce a fruit. One is just worthwhile and the other is not. And God will give us eyes and discernment to see that. Going back to the wolf analogy, wolves always make me think of Little Red Riding Hood. How many of you have read that before or had that read to you, the story of Little Red Riding Hood, where the wolf gets to the house before grandma's house, before Little Red Riding Hood, and dresses up like grandma to fool Little Red Riding Hood. And at first, he does. She thinks that the wolf is her grandma because he's disguised himself. But upon further examination... She sees the truth. My grandmother, what, what big teeth you have. My grandmother, what big claws you have. Little Red Riding Hood soon discerns that the wolf is not the grandma. The issue is there is a connection between a person's essence, their being, their deepest character, and the works that they do in the world. The way they live out their lives. Good fruit connects the heart to action, and bad fruit also connects the heart to action. One is worthwhile, and the other is worth less. If someone is truly a follower of Jesus, their life should scream that out. Love, mercy, humility, kindness, gentleness, self-control, peace, patience. If this is not what you are seeing coming from them, then this is not what they are about. The difference between choosing the wide gate and the narrow gate. And Jesus takes this a step further in the next section that we're going to look at, Matthew 7, 20 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. So these verses are connected again to the verses that we just read about the good fruit and the bad fruit. Both sections are really about people 
pretending that they know Jesus, that they follow him, that they are a true disciple. We've all played pretend before, right? You've played pretend where you dress up like somebody else. As a matter of fact, that's why I always wanted to be an actress because I loved dressing up like other people and pretending I was them, but that's what I was doing. I was pretending. I played all sorts of roles, a, a, a British mother and a, a, a famous author and an aging actress. Oh, well, maybe I, I might be kind of close to that. But anyway, I played all of these roles. I am not the essence of this. I am not these people, but I pretend for a while that I am. And it's okay when you're playing pretend, but there's no pretending when you are a true disciple of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. People pretending that they truly know him, that they are truly doing his work. They can even look pretty good on the outside, but what is happening in their heart? Performing acts in the name of Jesus, but they don't truly know him? They don't have a personal relationship with him? And where we might not always see it or recognize it, Jesus always does. No one, no one is a good enough actor to fool Jesus. Doing the will of the Father is sacrificial. It's not done in a boastful way. It's hard, selfless, others-focused work. It's practical obedience. Even those false prophets, those who pretend, maybe they can fool us, but they will not fool Jesus. And he, he will be the one to judge their heart. And it is clear in both of these sections how he feels about that. In verse 19, he says, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And then he says in verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. This is Jesus speaking. I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. We need to beware and try to see and recognize those people that truly don't know Jesus, but try to persuade people that they do and try to persuade people to their way of thinking that perform acts on his behalf that are not true or right or just, that say things in his name that are not good. They are all around us right now. And they are destroying the credibility of the church and of Christians. We have all but lost a generation and we will continue to lose more if we don't make this right. And I want to say that at Grace, we are committed. We are committed to bridging that credibility gap because there is a gap between the church and those that are looking for Jesus. There's a credibility gap. and We are committed to bridging that gap. So if you are sitting there right now in your home and thinking, I want, I want what Jesus has. I want what he has to offer, but I don't want what the church has to offer because you've been harmed or hurt or the church has caused pain in your life. We're committed to making that right. Because no one, 
No one should hurt you in the name of Jesus. That is false, and they are not a true disciple of his. And I want to win back the generations, my kids' generations, with the love of Jesus, the true love of a true disciple of his. They claim Jesus, but their lives say anything and everything but his kingdom. And even when we don't see them, we can be secure knowing that Jesus sees them. He knows what they're about, and he will be the ultimate judge. And if we ask him and we seek, I believe he will give us the wisdom and discernment to see it too. Most people can only live a lie for so long. And then all of a sudden, the big teeth and the claws come out. They're exposed. They're brought into the light. So this last section is Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Anyone who hears my teaching and, and follows it is wise, like a person who built a house on solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't follow it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. So he finishes up, it up with this section. What are you going to build your house on? What are you going to build your life on? Is it going to be that solid foundation that holds up when the rains come and the floods come? Or is it going to be that shifting sand where your house falls apart when the storms come? I learned a little song about this back in Thelma Van Sickles' Sunday school class. And maybe you haven't heard this, but I'm going to sing a little bit of it for you. Maybe it'll help you remember. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. You can sing with me if you want. The rains, I know you're in your house, but do it. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. The, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. You get it, you get it. And then the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the foolish man's house went smash. It's a great song to help. I will never, ever forget this passage of scripture because of Thelma Van Sickle's song. It comes down to this. How is your house built? What is your foundation? Rock or sand? The rock of Jesus or the sand of the world? The houses may look the same on the outside, but when the, when the storms come, they weather them very differently. Yes, we have to hear the words of Jesus, but if we don't obey those words, if we don't act on those words, it is empty. Learning does not create a strong foundation. Learning done does. Are we as individuals, are we as the church doing the words of Jesus are we doing them or are we just hearing them? 
or reading them or thinking how great they are. Every lesson I have had to teach my kids, the only way they truly learn it is when they do it. I can talk all I want, and believe me, I've done it a lot. But until they do what I am telling them to do, they will never truly understand it. Whether it's, it's math or spelling or doing their laundry or learning to drive a car, they cannot grasp it until they do it. Action. A firm foundation is in, in acting what Jesus taught you. That's a foundation that bears good fruit. That's a foundation that has chosen the narrow gate and the difficult path that leads to life. Or there's the flimsy, weak foundation of hearing but not enacting, listening but not doing, talk, taking it in but not living it out. And when the storms come, when they arise, the driving, beating, flooding storms in our lives, it will be very clear what your foundation is built on. I have so many friends in my life that have experienced excruciating circumstances in their life. And the way they weather the, the, those storms, it is unbelievably clear to me what their foundation is built on as I see them tr move through these storms with faith and trust and humility and kindness and gentleness and strength that can only come from that firm, strong foundation. So Jesus wraps this all up by saying, You've heard it all. I've laid it all out for you. What, do I, what I expect from you as a disciple, a true disciple of mine. Build your house on all that I have just shared with you. Three chapters full of what he has shared with us. So are you wise or are you foolish? The entire sermon, all that he has said in these previous verses lead to this last question. Will you listen to his teaching and follow it? Or will you listen to it and turn the other way? Will you listen to it and not obey? He has laid it out for his followers. He's laid it out for all of us. The way of his kingdom, the upside down, contrary, self-sacrificing way of his kingdom. And we have a choice. Will we build our lives on it? Will we truly build our lives on it? All of what he is preaching, all that he has laid out you want to be my true disciple? This is what it looks like. It's hard. It is hard. Like an athlete preparing for a race. But it will lead to true, abundant, rich, deep life. It is the kingdom that has no end. Can you imagine... Can you imagine how the world would change 
if all that claim to be followers of Jesus, of all that claim to be his true disciples, would actually live out the humble, loving, merciful, forgiving, selfless way he puts forth in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the question I have for you today. You've heard what he has to say. Love your enemy. That's easy. Turn the other cheek. That's easy. Give them your coat when they take your shirt. That's easy. Be salt and light. None of it is easy. But it's the only way to true life. Is that what you want today? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I, I don't know, I've never even thought about this before. Maybe today is your day to take that first step. You're hearing this and it's resonating deep in your heart. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know about Christians right now. I don't know about the church, but I know about Jesus. I know about what he's saying in here. And I want some of him. I want to live this life that he's calling us to. Maybe today is your day to make that choice. To move into this Christmas season. Truly understanding what the birth of this baby meant. For the world. For you. Or maybe you feel like, oh, I made this decision a long time ago. I thought I was doing it all right. And now you're like, I don't know if I'm doing it right at all. But I know there's a broken world out there that needs more of this. So I want to commit myself to more of this. It's not going to be perfect. Goodness, it's not going to be perfect. I mess this up every day of my life. I messed it up five minutes ago before I stood up here. But this is what's worth striving for. What he lays out in this sermon is worth striving for. It will change the world. It will change your life. Is this what you want? Is this what you need? Then move into it today wholeheartedly with your whole self. Give yourself to him into his upside-down kingdom, into his way of living and be a true disciple. I'm going to give you a moment to process that and think about that, and then I'm going to pray for us. So take this moment to just think about what God has said to you in these moments. Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful for the presence of Jesus in our lives and in our world. 
And we are grateful for this abundant life that you call us to. Sure, it may be difficult, Lord, but there is nothing that will bring us life like this life that you call us to. This calling that you have on our lives. And Lord, there are people right now, Lord, that may be, may be coming into this for the first time. And Lord, I lift them to you as they make this commitment to be your disciple, your true disciple. Lord, I just pray that they would be overcome by the Holy Spirit in this moment, that they would feel your presence deeply in this moment, that they would wholeheartedly and fully give themselves to you in this moment, Lord, because what we need in this world is more of you. And they can only experience that through your Holy Spirit working in and through each one of us that call you our Lord and Savior. May we commit to be more than we have ever been. May we commit to more of you in us than we ever have. I lift everyone that is listening here right now to you, Lord. Thank you for meeting us here today. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen.